just weeks before Pentecost. So thanks, Travis, for beating me to it. I'm excited this morning uh, to share more about the work of the Holy Spirit again from a passage of Scripture that's not often talked about on Pentecost Sunday and in a way that I hope will be refreshing to you as we think about what it looks like to live a Spirit-filled life. Turn with me, if you will, to Numbers chapter 11. We'll be in verses 16 and 17, and then verses 24 through 28. It's helpful to know that the first 14 chapters of the book of Numbers uh, accounts for the, the year after the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. God's people, the Israelites, are wandering in the desert. Life is hard. The tribe's direction is unclear. The people's faith is being tested. Let's pick up in verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I'll come down and speak with you there, and I'll take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They'll share the burden of the people with you, so that you'll not have to carry it alone. Now verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. And the Lord came down a cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men, Eldad and Medad, remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them. And they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Friends, we'll never see the extent to which God can work in our lives if we try to contain the work of the Holy Spirit. We know what was happening with God's chosen people in this moment that brought about God's intervention, God taking some of the spirit that was on Moses and dividing it out. We read in verse 1 that the people complained, and this angered the Lord. The complaining and grumbling had risen to such a level that leadership had become difficult for Moses. We don't know exactly what they were complaining about in verse 1. We have to imagine that wandering in the desert is hard, But we also know that this isn't an isolated event. We read this over and over again in the Old Testament. The people complain. God provides. The people are satisfied for a time, and the people find something else to complain about. In Exodus chapter 14, God had just freed the Israelites from slavery. The people are are marching away from Egypt boldly, confidently. God is leading them. Their eyes are forward. Then they see the Egyptians racing towards them from the rear. The people complain, Moses, didn't we just tell you to to leave us in Egypt? It was hard work, but at least we were alive. We know the story God provides. In Exodus chapter 15, they find water in the desert after three days without, but it's bitter. It doesn't taste good. They complain. God makes the water fit to drink. God provides. In chapter 16, only two months removed from slavery, the people complained about the lack of food. So God provides quail and then manna from heaven. Anytime the people complain, God provides. 
And God not only provides, but provides in such a way, in such an abundant manner, that only God can receive the glory. But the people still complain, and God still provides. This is the pattern of God's people in the wilderness. This is the pattern that we see in our own lives. There's never a shortage of things to complain about. We don't like to admit it, but it it kind of feels good to complain, doesn't it? It feels good because it serves a a purpose. It serves a a social purpose. We, We bond when we have something to complain about together. You know, we can all get behind complaining about the economy and politics. You know those people that park their shopping cart right in the middle of the aisle? It's an important conversation that we need to have because complaining is built into the social fabric of our lives. In a New York Times article titled, Go Ahead and Complain, It Might Be Good For You, the author writes that complaining has health benefits if you complain correctly and strategically. Someone's thinking, you know, thank goodness because, hey, I don't like to brag, but complaining is kind of my thing. You should, you should have seen me at the, the deacons meeting last week. I, I wanted to make sure that all 70 of my complaints were addressed before we moved on. Before you get too excited, there is a way to complain that is emotionally healthy and build stronger relationships and a way that will keep you dissatisfied and isolated from the people around you. Venting can be healthy, right? This is when you just need to blow off steam. You get cut off in traffic and telling someone about it helps release that frustration. When you vent, you don't need help solving that, that problem. That's not the, the goal. You get the problem off your chest and you move on. And there's problem solving. This is another healthy way to complain. The goal is to explain the problem so that a solution can be found. You leave with an action step. This is what I need to do. Then there's dwelling. We've all been there. You know, sometimes we just want to sit in the mud and be miserable. You know, sometimes I, I, can, I can struggle to know the difference in my marriage. When, when is Miranda venting or when is she trying to solve a problem? Do I need to just shut up and listen or do I need to help find a solution? But not, not dwelling. This, this can be destructive. We can sit in our grief or anger for so long that it's not just, it doesn't become just what we, we feel. It becomes who we are, who people know us to be. We have to be careful when we complain or when we find ourselves stuck in a pattern of of negativity. When complaining is our default, our hearts become hard. We find more and more reasons to complain. It becomes the basis for our relationships. We surround ourselves with people that reinforce that state of being. The days start to feel a little bit darker and heavier. God feels far away. And it shows. Our friends notice our spouses noticed. Miranda said this to me last week, you've been on edge the past few days, and she, she was right. When you're tired, when you're busy, when you're in a busy season, it's, it's easy to complain. It's easy to slip into that pattern. It's, it's fun to complain. It's also easier to complain. It's the easier path to take. We have to work harder We have to train our hearts and minds in a more intentional way. Kristen mentioned this a few weeks ago, that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to transform our minds so that the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God is front and center in our lives. There's never a shortage of things for which to give thanks to God. God is faithful. 
God has already provided a way when there was no other way. Paul reminds us to give thanks to God. He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews tells us why we should always give thanks, why we should always worship, because we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When complaining becomes our default setting, we lose sight of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The problems become bigger. Doubt and fear begin to take up too much room in our hearts. When this happens, when we minimize God's presence and power, going to God in prayer no longer feels like the solution. Going to Scripture, the Word of God, feels like a a waste of time, and we start looking for answers in other places. When the Israelites felt like God wasn't giving them what they, they felt like they needed, when Moses wasn't leading them how they wanted to be led, they started looking for solutions elsewhere, other people, other gods, other truths. The Holy Spirit enables us to see beyond the fog of cultural truths and the selfish desires of our own hearts. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth that allows us to see our lives, to see the world around us from God's perspective. Richard Rohr calls this the divine gaze. When we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit through prayer, when we let in the light of Christ often enough, we become a reflection of that light to others. And as that light shines through us, we see the world differently. We know that life was hard for the Israelites and that they were stuck in a a pattern of complaining. And in verse 1 of Numbers 11, God had enough. God was angry. When we complain, when we dwell on what we don't have instead of all that God has given to us, when we try to contain the power of God to what we see and feel and not on what is possible with God's help, when we fail to trust, it angers God. It's not like the Israelites' needs weren't being met. God had already provided manna in abundance. But in verse 4, we read that they began to crave other food. Hey, John, remember when, when we were in Egypt? I mean, we couldn't, we couldn't say no to the amount of of fresh vegetables and fish and, and meat. Man, they worked us hard, but at least we ate well. And now all we have is, is manna, manna for breakfast, lunch, and, and dinner. You know what happens when you mix manna with manna and then you sprinkle a little crushed manna on top? You just, you just get more manna. It's easier to complain. It's easier to say, I've, I've been in this job that I hate for years. I don't feel like I've got a, a purpose here. I could be making money somewhere else. I don't feel like God, God's able to use me where I'm at. It's harder to say, God, this season of my life is just hard. I don't, I don't know why, but it is. I don't always feel your presence, but I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you can use me where I am. You've provided for my needs. Only you can truly satisfy my heart. And I'm going to look to you, even though I'm struggling. And don't let comfort or complaining become your default setting. Don't let discomfort and frustration take up too much room in your heart. Don't minimize God's presence and power by dwelling on what you think is missing in your life. When we choose to be thankful, when we choose to give God glory in our lives, even when we're in the valley, it pleases God. This only happens when the Word of God becomes our refuge, that when prayer becomes as important to us as the food that we eat, only then can we realize the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
Only then will our minds be shaped by how God sees us and not the world, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that when we struggle, these are not moments of personal weakness, but opportunities for God's power to be made perfect in our lives, for God to, to do the impossible. Do you believe that God can make the impossible possible in your life? This is my favorite part of the story. You are Eldad and Medad. And why did they decide that this was the day to miss tent meeting? And why did the Spirit still rest on them? Maybe the more important question. We know that they were two of the, the elders, men with wisdom and experience that were tasked with, with being part of the governing body of Israel. We know they made a choice not to go to the tent. Moses told the people what the Lord had, had said. It was no secret what God intended to do, and yet they chose to be absent. Were they skeptical that God would actually put some of the spirit that was on Moses on them? Did they not want the responsibility that would be theirs when the spirit rested on them? We, we don't know. We do know that they ignored the instruction. For whatever reason, they didn't want to be a part of this divine moment. We can infer that they did believe that God for this plan was confined to a place, to the tent of meeting. That's, that's what the tent of meeting was, a tent that was placed outside the camp. Anyone who had a question for God would go to the tent of meeting. A cloud would come down like Shelley mentioned, and God would, would speak to Moses face to face. The tent would later be the, the temple in Jerusalem. Did they feel unworthy or unqualified to be in this position? You know, that's, that's easy for Moses to say, someone with a special relationship with God. Whatever reason, they tried to contain the work of God. And the Spirit still rested on them. And they prophesied. And they were named. We know their names, unlike the other elders. Where can I go from your, your presence? The psalmist cries out. Where can I flee from your, your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. The spirit rested on Eldad and, and Medad as unworthy or as uncooperative as they were. God still uses them. Proving what Abram Heschel said, that the spiritual is not something we own, but something we may share in. We do not possess it. We may be possessed by it. It's true that we believe there are places in our lives where God cannot work. We believe there are people in our lives that are beyond God's ability to change. Situations that are beyond God's ability to redeem. The work of the Holy Spirit is not confined to a place, to a person, to a mindset that, that thinks that someone else is more qualified than I am. You can't contain the power of the Holy Spirit, but you can close yourself off. You can let fear lead your life. Your thinking can be small enough that the Spirit's power can be minimized by thinking that there's nowhere else that God can take you, by forgetting what, what God has done for you. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the advocate that will teach us and remind us of all that He has said. The Holy Spirit helps us remember what Jesus has taught us, how Jesus has cared for us, that where we are today is not where we'll always be. Helps us to stay focused on God's will for our lives. Friends, we'll never see the extent to which God can work in our lives if we try to contain the Holy Spirit. And finally, in our passage, 
we come to Joshua. His name means Yahweh is salvation. He's Moses' trusted number two. He eventually succeeds Moses as the leader of the Israelites. He has the, the privilege of leading God's people into the promised land. He was present with Moses at the tent of meeting, like he had been told. He followed instructions, and he's the first to jump to Moses' defense. He's up in arms about the spirit resting on Eldad and Medad. You think the, the more spirit-filled people, the better, right? But Moses responds like a, like a great leader. He tells him not to be jealous for his sake and says that he wished that God's spirit would be on all of God's people. Could you imagine if the burden of spiritual leadership was divided out among the people? I finally get some rest. The work of God at the tent of meeting was expected. The instructions came through the proper channels to the appointed people. There was advance notice. It aligned with how God had spoken to the people before. It was controlled and familiar, but the Spirit spilled out into the camp. The Spirit, uncontained, broke protocol, tradition, expectations, boundaries, convention, and Joshua doesn't recognize the Spirit working in new and unexpected ways. In this moment, he recognizes it as a threat to power. If more people start to prophesy, what, what need will there be for Moses and me? There have always been, and there will always be efforts people, voices inside of us and outside of us that will try to contain the work of the Spirit. There will always be people that see what new and exciting thing God is doing in your life, what God is doing in our church as a threat, trying to control which way the wind of the Spirit blows. The wind blows wherever it pleases, Jesus says in John chapter 3. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I love the image of of wind. We don't see the the wind blowing. All we see is the effect of the wind on the world around us. We can't control it, but we can harness its power. We can't possess it. We can't own it. All we can do is open our lives to let down the, the sail of faith and let the wind of the Spirit guide us. We see the effect of the wind of the Spirit in our community. Hearts and lives are, are being changed. People are stepping out in faith. That's what happens when we're open to the Spirit, like Jesus, who was full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, as Henri Nouwen says, was willing to be led where he did not want to go. We see our students and families responding to the challenge of the Holy Spirit to go and serve in Alaska in just a few weeks. We see our our young adults accepting the challenge from the Holy Spirit to spend the summer in New York seeking out God's direction for for their lives. We see our experienced adults, some asking for the first time, God, what fresh way are you calling me to serve? You're not done with me yet. When we read about the Spirit being poured out on the elders in Numbers chapter 11, we can't help but think about Pentecost the birth of the church, where everyone was was together on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit rested on the believers. They weren't in the temple. The Spirit uncontained found them where they were, and they were filled with the Spirit, not a, a temporary dose, but an indwelling of the Spirit. 
fulfilling Jesus' promise to be with us always and forever. Men and women began to, to prophesy that, that, that potential reality that threatened Joshua but gave Moses hope. Fulfilling the prophet Joel that said, my spirit would be poured out on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even all my servants, both men and women. They were speaking other languages. People from every nation started to gather confused and perplexed. How are we hearing our own language being spoken? Some were curious. What does this mean? Others were cautious. They're drunk. Friends, we'll never see the extent to which God can work in our lives if we try to contain the Holy Spirit. It's only when we reach a point when we don't try to own it, but to share in it, not to possess it, but to be possessed by it. That's when our sails will be open to the Holy Spirit's leadership. In light of the work of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, people who witnessed all that took place asked, what shall we do? What is the correct response when we sense the, the Holy Spirit at work? And there's no doubt that the Spirit is working around us. Peter says this in Acts 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. The gift of the Holy Spirit becomes so intimately and instantly a part of us, closer than our very breath. It's what allows us to have more than just an ordinary life, but a spiritual life, an intimacy with God. It's how we grow spiritually and not just our mind and body. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that your bodies are, are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you. If you've received from God, you are not your own. When Jesus becomes Lord of our lives, when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're no longer our own. We can try to contain it. We can try to possess it. But being led by the Spirit means that we finally set down the oars. We stop trying to make our own way, and we let down the sails of faith. The promise is for you and your children, all who are close to Him and those who are far away. You may know this promise, you may know in your, your head that the Holy Spirit is in you, but your heart is not open to the gift that is already yours. You may be stuck in a, a pattern of complaining. The, the world feels dark. God feels far away. You may be in a place where God's power no longer feels in reach in your life. Don't take the easier path. God invites us to go another way. Friends, to keep doing what you've always done means that you'll be where you have always been. You may be looking for solutions elsewhere, other gods, other people, other truths. Only God can satisfy your deepest longings. You may feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart today. It's time to step out in faith. You're not alone. Repent and be baptized in Jesus' name, and the Holy Spirit will be yours and you'll no longer be your own. As we close today, our, our ministers will be down front to receive you. If there's a way that we can pray for you, if you want to talk about what it means to be a part of this faith community, if you want to know more about this gift of the Holy Spirit that is available to you through Jesus Christ, 
we want to talk to you. However the Holy Spirit is leading you today, how will you respond?